0: guys, and welcome to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Time for another creator interview, or in this case, creators interview. I've got two guests today, and they're the powerhouse creative team behind, for us, one of the most exciting looking titles to close out 2022. The writer has been making waves in the industry for the last uh, last good few years, having released titles for Dark Horse, Image, Marvel, DC. He's one of the founding members behind White Noise, a London writer studio collective, along with friend of the store, Ram V, and other top writers, Dan Waters and Mano Sullivan. The artist for us is one of the most exciting around with a style very much his own and very, very much just appeals to us left, right and centre. He's coming off one of the best image titles in years having been the co-creator of Homesick Pilots along with the aforementioned Dan Waters. He's also worked for DC Comics and also for Marvel Comics in the Galaxy far, far away. Uh, The writer is Alex Pacnadel, the artist is Casper Weingard and that exciting upcoming title that you're all going to be wanting put on your pull list is all against all from Image Comics. So, welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on. First of all, Alex. Thanks ever so much for having us. And,
1: Appreciate it.
0: And thanks for coming on as well, Casper. Are you guys keeping well tonight? Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Thank
0: you. Thanks for having
2: us. Yeah. all good. Thank
0: you. Well, it's absolute pleasure. You know, thanks for coming on. As I say, I mean, you know, the first question has to be when we're you know doing this kind of interview is 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 why comics? You know, what what made you guys want to pursue the medium? Is it a case of being a lifelong reader—is it the freedom to create compared to other more budget-oriented mediums? I mean, why don't we start with yourself, Alex? What drew you to comics? I was kind of blooded into
1: it, really. I mean, I'm second
0: generation, really.
1: Um, I mean, my my my, my dad um, used to—he collected, I think, from sort of 1970 to the early 80s. Uh, I I I killed I killed his collection because he had to pay for me instead of comics, but he had a good <laughs> he had a good run. And it was, I think, it was the fact that he sort of took care of them, did for me in a sense, because he like he taught me to read with kind of Marble Treasury editions, right? So I'd sort of be sat there at sort of you know three four years old, sat, sat on his lap with, you know, Howard the Duck or whatever, and you know the old there were these kind of pocket books that were the old sort of Kirby Ditko stuff, and so yeah, that was how I was taught to read. But he had the you know the really good you know not not, not the Kirby you know he had the the original stuff you know the original American American editions. In this sort of forbidden cabinet of mystery that i was always forbidden from entering and of course it was forbidden fruit so i had to get in on that so yeah i used to sort of break in and sort of read claremont Byrne, x-men neil adams avengers you know jim starlin you know avengers and yeah i was hooked
0: nice nice and and how about yourself casper have you always been a a keen artist and do you find comics is the best place maybe to express that creativity
2: yeah, I mean, I like to tell stories, so, I mean, and I, and I also like to draw. Um, I wasn't really sure that I was going to end up in comics. I'd always drawn comics from a young age, but it definitely I don't think it was ever... I don't know, it's weird. Sometimes I wanted to work in comics, sometimes I wanted to work in movies, other times I wanted to work in video games. It was like, it bounced around quite a lot, on, depending on what I was feeling. I had some interest in comics when I was doing portfolio reviews and I oh, was just showing my work off. It seemed that sequential seemed to resonate. like my work, my sequential work was seen, you know, like people seemed to like it, which it, uh, like it, it, it infused me to like do more, you know, like the, people's reaction to it made me think, oh, you know, this could be something that I could possibly do with people like my sequential work. Um, so I just pursued it for a bit Did some work on the indie work with some indie publishers, continue to go like to cons like Thought Bubble and stuff like that, and attend the portfolio reviews that you would do, you know, like they would either like Marvel and DC and Image would come, basically. And yeah, it was, you know, I, I had a chance to meet with some some of the best editors in the in the industry through that. And just their reaction to kind of like, you know, there was a possibility that I could get work was was like all the motivation I needed really I kind of really knuckled down after that point because like because they like I wasn't sure if I ever could but the fact that they showed an interest in my work was enough for me to think like oh this could actually be something that I could actually do like this is you know like part of a job interview in a way so I just from there I just you know like that's from where I chose that like I'm going to try and pursue this as a as a career Uh, like again I didn't know if it was ever going to work but
0: like thankfully it did And then what was that first big break for you uh, in getting into industry? Why don't you go first this time, Casper? Well, Limbo,
2: like my first image book with Dan Waters from 2015. We pitched that at Thought Bubble in 2014, I believe. It would have been, it was a year, exactly a year almost before the the book was launched. And we pitched that to Eric Stevenson, the publisher at Image. And uh, yeah, that was it really. We knew that... uh, they, we knew Eric was going to be there because I met with Eric the year before and I just had a portfolio review of him anyway. And he said, like, oh, you know, like you should try and well, do a book, you know, you should try and pitch something. So, like, I didn't, I didn't, that was, I didn't take that as an invitation, but like I just thought, like, oh, you know, like he thinks that I should d- do something. So I spoke to Dan, who we were, I was working with Dan at the time. And I said, like, we should just put some, we should just come up with a, a story like I had some ideas for a story that I wanted to do personally Dan had an ideas for a story that he wanted to do personally we kind of meshed the two together that's kind of why Limbo is kind of like a, a you know like it's like this like smorgasbord of genres and we kind of just like mesh the two concepts that we had together like things that we wanted to do because it it was more of a portfolio piece for us like to get into the industry than just being like this is going to be the first great thing that we ever do we wanted to show all the things that we were passionate about in one book and like the things that we thought us, you know, like our our strengths that we were strong at basically. And we because The book's kind of random, but like, it's also kind of like uh, an exercise in like what, what myself and Dan were interested in doing and what we were comfortable in doing and how we could execute it basically in a book, instead of just doing something that we thought would sell, we just used it as a, as a giant portfolio. It's this kind of like, 160 page portfolio of our work basically because it changed like every issue is different from the last one pretty much so um I mean like the book was well received anyway like people really liked the book we didn't expect it to be as well received as it was because again we we knew it was kind of just a book for ourselves but it helped in a way that public you know like publishers had seen it you know like Dan got work at DC almost immediately off the back of that book and I went on to do some other work it on some work for hire stuff which eventually ended up getting me uh i know i did another bucket image of size but then from there you know like i wouldn't have met psi or any of those other creators if it wasn't for that you know having that book out image uh because i wouldn't have felt comfortable enough to talk to anyone if i hadn't had something to show you know um, as it is in comics, but yeah, uh, Limbo. Sorry, bit of a tangent there.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it's it's really interesting. There's there's so many guys we chat to, and they mm-hmm. they talk about Eric Stevenson being this you know great guy who's always willing to take a chance on new creators. And mm-hmm. I suppose I suppose part of that for Limbo for you was just proving that you could execute it. You know, it's one thing pitching something to a publisher and saying I can draw these 160 pages and we can produce this content, but it's another thing just executing it and showing that obviously you can be relied upon to do that.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, myself and Dan had done, like, a comic book before, like a Kickstarter comic book with another publisher, like an indie publisher, that we were able to show to him to show that, like, we could, you know, we, we've, we've done comics before. It wasn't just the, um oh, you know, like, please invest everything in us. Like, we'd done small amounts of comic work before, but nothing to this scale, basically. Again, with Image, it's like unless we didn't do the work there was there's no one pushing us to do the work like they offered us the book and then it's kind of in your hands so if we didn't make the book then they're not going to solicit it until we do three issues so unless we make those three issues the book's never going to exist so it was in our hands from that point on to actually do the book you know and Eric would check in every now and again just to see how production on the book was coming but you know they're quite hands-off with stuff like that so it's it's really down to myself and Dan to make the book, which, you know, it took us about myself. We were both working at the time. So I was working on Limbo in, in the evenings and and when I could. So it, it took us, I'd say about six, six or seven months to get those first three issues done. And then by that point we had to solicit and then, you know, I had a break um, to, you know, I had a bit more time to finish those last three issues while, well, the series was running out basically but then from that point on you know the book came out and and I was getting offers from from real editors when the when the first issue started to come out for actual work like while the series was still running which was amazing like it was exciting like it was like it was hard work to make the book and I and you know like a lot of people will say like uh oh you got really lucky with Limbo or, you know like that, that, that and it was and and like yeah we were like really grateful that it got picked up but it was a it was a It was a lot of work for myself and Dan to make that book like outside of everything else that we were doing and it it, it, and and I I believe it's paid off like definitely but again it was like a lot of I, I can understand why it would put a lot of people off knowing that you would have to make this book for free essentially like this 160 page book that we made in your own free time as a gamble on whether or not you're going to make it in the industry. But like myself and Dan, you know, we were really passionate about doing this. Like I found someone that was just as passionate as me to make this content, basically, or make this book and and knowing the image, we're going to push it, like knowing that eventually image, we're going to publish it. If we made those three issues was such a, such a big deal for both of us. You know, like, I remember just like getting that, email to say that the book was going to be published by image and just like running around the block, you know, for like an hour, just like, <laughs> just to kind of like process it all i was so excited i was like jesus christ you know and dan phoned me up and was like did you read the email and i was like oh my god like jesus and i just like running around like just went for a jog just to kind of process like what was going on and then from that point on like i don't think the enthusiasm to make the book ever died it was just like we need to make this book and we need to make it the best thing that we've ever made if we're gonna if we're gonna if, if anyone wants to see it so like that's where we made weird decisions like all of the characters are going to be like odd colors you know like well for myself I was like I want this to look different from anything else at the stands at the time so I just started like doing weird stuff like oh blue you know like I'll make clay blue like that's weird people might pick that up and be like what's this weird book so I was just like just trying lots of things out on the page as I was doing it just to kind of make it not just look like you know, like it could have just been like I could have colored the whole book normally, if you know what I mean and, and not done like a a, a weird eighties aesthetic to it. I could have done just i could have just made it look like a like a a noir book, but like I consciously made sure that every time I did something I was gonna make it like quite bizarre because I was really adamant that I wanted this thing to kind of just feel different, if you know what I mean. um and I've kind of turned that back a lot now, I think, and I don't do anything like that now. Because you know it is kind of like marmite, but uh, but for making a book for ourselves and and, being, and like enjoying it as well. Like if you're making a book for free, like if you're making a book by yourself, and it's your own thing, you're gonna want to entertain yourself. You don't want it to get boring. So it was just that thing where we were changing things on the fly to make it interesting to make. Because I never wanted to get on a page and think like this is a job. Now I don't want to draw this. It was always supposed to be fun, so we always made the we always made sure that Limbo was a fun book to make for the five issues that we did it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just sounds like some people were confusing luck with hard work, dedication, creativity, and drive. But uh, some people call it luck. Some people say it's a determination to succeed. So. Then how about yourself, Alex? Well, I, well, I, I, doing my research and going into your work and so forth. I, you know, I've seen that you worked for a lot of different companies along the way, proving bits and pieces here and there. Was was there one specific moment that it felt like to you that you had broken into the industry and that this was going to be, this was going to be you full time moving forward?
1: This is going to sound facetious, but I mean, I still, I still don't really feel like I've broken in because breaking in means staying in, right? Um, and like you know, I've I've no intention of going anywhere. Obviously, it's it's my chosen medium. I I love it dearly, but it's it's difficult to get established, right? Me, um, you're writing the
2: batsman's, and you're saying you've
1: not broken in. No, no, no. Like, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. That's the thing, though, isn't it? Is, it's is it it's, um, Stop it's, downplaying um, it. It's not that. I, I, th- I think it's just you know you're kind of you're, you're conditioned, aren't you? I think to sort of think that like. It's it's funny. I was talking to Christian Ward about this. Like there are these there are these thresholds that, you know, you think, okay, well, like once I'm past that, I'm safe. Once I'm past that, I'm safe. Once I'm past that, I'm safe. And it's never really you never actually feel like, you know, you're you, you made it to the life raft. You always feel like you're paddling towards the life raft. I mean, all I know is like I'm just very comfortable making the books that I'm making. But in terms of like, I mean, how you know how it all kind of. I mean, my 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 sort of breaking in story, I think, is almost the kind of. Um, it's almost sort of diametrically opposed to how Dan and Casp broke in. I mean, I, I'm I'm always very kind of open about it because I think, particularly if you know aspiring creators, you know, because I know that they pay attention to these kind of things, and it's not everyone wants to kind of mythologize. I mean, I'm not. I mean, Casper hasn't obviously. That's exactly what happened. But you know. To an extent, people want to kind of mythologise their own kind of uh, experience and make it like a rake's progress. But I mean, I, I always kind of put my hands up. I mean, I, I got in because, not to put it too fine, but don't get me wrong, I could do the work, but I'm friends with Andy Diggle. Andy's a neighbour of mine and we were at Thought Bubble and he introduced me to Will Dennis, who was then group group editor at Vertigo. And I sent Will some stuff. He liked it. But he was on his way out from Vertigo at the time because they were they were making the move to LA and Will was going to stay in New York. But what he did do was he said, okay, so I can't I can't get this over the line at Vertigo at the moment just because, you know, I'm basically just on my way out the door. But he, you know, and, and I was absolutely crushed. I thought, oh man, that was it. You know, that was that was, that was my shot. And I just had like a weekend of, you know, just <laughs> being really kind of disconsolate and 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 being very kind of unpleasant to be around. But um, I got a call on the Monday from uh, Matt Gagnon at Boom. And because Will's a very, 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 very nice guy, he didn't just let it rest there. He he sent my package along to Matt Gagnon at Boom. Um, and they set up a call, I think, within sort of 12 hours. And then um, after a weekend of abject spare, I was on a phone call to Boom in L.A., and they set up a book that I did there called Arcadia, um, and that was that was actually the. It was, I think Limbo and Arcadia were coming out around about the same time.
2: Yeah, maybe Arcadia was out a little bit before Limbo.
1: Yeah, it uh,
2: it, it had been because I remember the first comic we did, we launched Limbo there, and I think Arcadia was already on its second volume because I remember Dan like being like, "Oh look, there's the, there's Alex Pecknold. You're right, Arcadia. That book's wicked." Like. I'm going to go over and say hello, and yeah. you were sat like across from us. So we we already um, knew who you were. Well, I didn't. I, I didn't care. But like Dan, Dan. You know.
0: I love that uh, Casper's never told you this before. You you seemed genuinely surprised there when you said, "Oh look, there's there's Alex over there. That book's wicked." You know, look- Oh, you said that
2: story before from Dan because
0: <laughs> because you had never for shared. Reason. <laughs> no, I think, I think.
1: wasn't there a whole thing? Because like you know. You know, I mean, I can say it till I'm blue in the face. Didn't Dan think I was kind of, like, aloof or something? Like, yeah, no, I'm not going to talk. I'm not, not going to put I'm, words to Dan's mouth. But I think it was along know. those lines, yeah. I don't There's
2: really no the the like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember him. I, I, you were obviously just... Bit, I, we know you now, so we know what you were like. But I think Dan came back and he was like, oh, yeah, like, he, he was quite rude. He didn't want to talk. To you. <laughs> <laughs> along those lines, but anyway... <laughs> Um, sorry, dad, if you
1: listening to this. Yeah. Uh, I mean to... You beat me up. He took my money. It's terrible. And we both beat you
2: up afterwards. Yeah. We hung you upside down by your trouser legs. And we were like, Arcadia Shaking that
1: Arcadia money. After that, I made some poor decisions and then I made some better decisions. And now here we are.
0: Well, I mean, this question would be aimed a little bit more at yourself. Maybe one of those good decisions was, you know, the, the White Noise Collective, you know, as as I mentioned in the intro, you know, the, the founding members were yourself, Ram, Dan Waters, Rano O'Sullivan. What was, what was the inspiration behind forming that group? And, and what was the ultimate aim with you guys? Other than, you know, riches and success, of course, you know, what was the ultimate aim with what you guys were doing there? Uh, I mean,
1: honestly we we mythologize it maybe more than we should. I mean, we're honestly like a core. It's basically just a layer of editorial. Before pitches go out and before scripts go out, if, you know, if we're not on the kind of treadmill, we'll generally sort of pass things around and it'll, there'll be a bit of a surgery and, you know, it'll get kind of workshopped within the group. I mean, there were, there were initial discussions. Well, like, I mean, you know, I I was all in favour of, I was wrong by the way, I was dead wrong, but, When we started up I said, Oh, well, you know, let's sort of set up a kind of a we'll set up a common fund and we'll all sort of put in like X amount a month and we'll all, you know, we'll use it, you know, when one of us wants to make a book, we'll sort of draw down on that common fund and we'll set it up as an LLC and all this sort of stuff. And uh, Ram just—I mean, rightly—Ram just stepped on it, man. I mean, I remember sort of, being, you know, and and I didn't because you know Ram's background is business, right? Like he's, you know, I mean, mine, mine isn't, but he's, you know, he's, he was—he was before he was a comic, before he was a comic writer, he was a very, very successful businessman, and he just went, look, if we if we codify this, if we if we turn this into a thing he said, I guarantee you within, you know, within two or three years, we'll all absolutely hate each other. Um, you know, we can't, we, we can't do it. We'll keep it loose, keep it informal. If people want to know what it is, they'll kind of come to us. Um, and he was right. He was absolutely right. So what it is is, I mean, functionally, it's probably nothing more than I would say, you know, we talk to each other every day, every single day, what it is, is it's just a resource, right? So I can and have call Dan, Ryan um, or Ram. Uh, you know, let's, you know, I'm, do, I'm doing an eye bleeder, you know, and I need help. And I call them at two o'clock in the morning. They'll pick up the phone. And reciprocally, I will pick up the phone as well, come hell off. You know, basically, unless one of us is dying, that's the deal is you you basically have to you have to just drop everything and do it. Um, but it really works it really works because, you know, you've written yourself into a corner and you need help and, you know, you ring, you you know, I'll I'll call Dan, you know, usually at a sociable hour. So, you know, sort of lunchtime on a Sunday or something. And, you know, I'll dig him out of a hole and then he'll dig me out of a hole. um, Or it'll be a bit more kind of additive than that. But it just, it's that, it's that extra, it's that extra layer of help that just kind of gets you over the line. You know, I think we've all got our own very distinct voices, but and we've all got stuff that we're really good at. I mean, like you know, Ryan, I think is formally is kind of breathtaking. You know, the kind of stuff that he kind of thinks about, and in in terms of how he sort of, um, you know, what he does with kind of page real estate. Dan and Ram are just structural demons, right? And I mean, I'm generally not. I'm, I, I I. I. It's not that I'm terrible at structure, but I have to relearn it every single time. It doesn't stick, right? So functionally you know story as delivery system I always have to kind of go back to the first principles and kind of reacquaint myself with that so I'll generally speak to them and they'll go okay well you know you need your midpoint needs to do this and apparently I mean Ron was telling me today apparently I'm I'm useful for the what they call the eye of the duck it's like a David Lynch concept which is you know the the last little cool thing that ties everything together apparently I'm I'm quite good for the kind of, oh, have you considered that? And it kind of ties everything together. All these, the disparate strands, like apparently I'm quite good at that. So we all have, we all play to each other's kind of strengths and yeah, um, it, it, it works, but it's a weird thing in the sense that it's not, it's not really a thing. It's not, you know, it, it is a thing. It's not, but it's basically just, just mates helping each other out really. is it.
0: I admit it out to be this, as you say, this big mythological great thing that, you know, you had a a secret meeting room and, you know, locked out from the outside world and, you know... It's a group (laughs) chat with some bar jokes, mainly. It all makes sense now, it all makes sense, but I mean, you're, you're talking there, you know, about saying that you don't feel it, you know, you've fully broken in, for example, but, you know, I see next week that you have Dark Crisis, The Deadly Green One shot, which, of course, yourself, Ram and Dan all worked on, so... You know, that must go, oh, oh, I saw the picture on Twitter earlier. If you want to turn the pages there so I can read it. <laughs> but it, but it must be quite satisfying knowing that that's sort of like a little collective or a little group that you guys all work together and, you know, try and bring the breasts out of each other. So it must be quite satisfying for you all to get to work together on this, which is, you know, let's be honest, it's such a big and prestigious event.
1: Uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, it, it it came together very kind of quickly, I think we didn't sort of know we were doing it until a few months ago um, or a couple of months ago, but um, it was something, it was an opportunity to jam together in a way that we kind of hadn't before uh, because we'd all been sort of off in our own, in our own little kind of garret. But um, I mean, I must admit, I mean, I'm looking at it now. We, I just got the, I just got the comps today and I'm just sort of flicking through it and it is, it is really satisfying to kind of look through it and just kind of think, in, in a weird way, I mean, I've worked with Dan before a lot, but it's the first time it's been sort of truly, you know, not rather than sort of I go away and do my bit, it's the first time it's ever really kind of, you know, we've had one witch's cauldron that we've been sort of stirring together. And it's quite gratifying to sort of do it, as you say, like it's quite gratifying to do it at Detective Comics Comics because, you know, it's a very sort of, it's a huge kind of platform to be doing it. It's not just... I mean, I wasn't I wasn't before, but, you know, it, 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 for the first time we do this to not sort of be doing it in, you know, in, in your shed to be doing it, you know, on this scale. Yeah, is great. It's 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 and it's nice to be trusted with that as well. Josh kind of came to us and it was like, OK, this is going to involve a swamp thing. So, like, I know Ram has to kind of handle it. But, you know, how would you how would you like to kind of to, to do to, to, to do the whole thing? it was nice to be trusted you know because i I did some swamp thing bits here as well and i know this is going to sound really weird but it was nice. it it was it felt really good to be trusted by ram to do that if that makes sense because you know levi will forever be associated with ram and rightly so but for him to go no you know obviously it's owned by warner brothers but for, for for the guy who invented the guy to kind of turn around and go no you know yeah, you, yeah, you've got, trust you know, you. you you understand the character, go do.
0: That was lovely. Let's talk about collaboration and let's talk about your upcoming collaboration with you two guys, you know, uh, all against all. So this is, this is due 7th of December, featured very prominently in the latest previews book, of course, which must be very satisfying, you know, make sure to get those pre-orders in. But how did that project come about for you guys? I'll I'll go to Casper on this, sure. But you know, was it collaborative from the beginning, or did one of you come to the other with the idea, and then you both developed it from there? What was what was the process for bringing this together?
2: You you you, you approached me, didn't you, Alex? Yeah, I wasn't. I was still working on Homesick Pilots at the time, and I wasn't really sure what I was doing after Homesick Pilots at this point. I had some ideas. But I really like the idea. I, I I wasn't gonna do it. Like he knows, <laughs> I told him I wasn't gonna do it. And you said, "Can we just have a Skype call?" And I was like, "No, I don't want to do it." I'm like, "I'm done with creator-owned books for the moment. I need to do some work for hire." And he was like, "Can we just get on a Skype call? You know, like I just I just want to tell you what it's about." And I was just like, "He knew what he was doing.
0: He knew he was going to be able to charm you."
2: Well, Dan's done it, and and Ram's done it. So he probably spoke to them about all. Just just feed him some visuals, and he'll <laughs> and he will say yes because it's just easy. Like I'm 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 really easy to like <laughs> convince to get on a book. Like the moment you start telling me about it, that's it. Like it, if I like the idea, and I and you know. I just thought, oh you know we could do this and we could do that and I'm like what am I doing I'm not even drawing this book like why am I helping you like come up with stuff with it and then like the more I was speaking about it I was like oh, I'm gonna have to do this now because I don't want anyone else to, I don't want anybody else to draw this book so I was being really self. like you knew what you were doing <laughs> but no like it's been it's been really like i I've, like, I've enjoyed every moment drawing this book. It's been such a fun book to draw. It's so different from, like, I obviously I love drawing Homesick Pilots because, again, that was, like, a very personal book for myself and Dan. But there are parts of that book that are technically quite hard to draw or on a level where you're emoting something that other people may have experienced, like, not the mechs and the ghosts, but, like, you know, a lot of the emotion in that book, you know, it's based on real life, you know feelings and stuff that people have gone through themselves so to do a book that's essentially through the eyes of aliens and a human that doesn't really speak what well, he does well I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get into spoilers or anything like that I haven't actually read the rest of the issues yet so like I'm not, I'm not gonna put words in Alex's mouth but for, for the time being you know like he's he's like expressive and everything but I don't have to like rely on readers to understand you know like put themselves in his shoes basically because you're putting yourselves in the shoes of these aliens but they're aliens so like I can do I can make them as human as I like but I don't have to worry like if people aren't going to get back and be like oh you know like he he drew that alien ship wrong you know like it should have this uh you know like people the read comics like to do you know like you can do an episode an issue of homesick pilot set in Seattle and people like that doesn't make any sense the road in Seattle doesn't link up to this part of the pier and the the mech would never have been down there. Like at that point, it would have taken him weeks to get from Arizona to Seattle. You, you know, like all of that stuff that you you, know, you don't really want people to pick up on, but they do. <laughs> we don't have any of that in this book because it's like I don't have to worry about it. So, just the idea of doing something like that was quite fun. It's a similar thing to when I did Angelic with Sisferya as well, where it was just like I can just kind of make the stuff up. And I don't really have to wor- worry about the rules of this world. Like, they're my rules now. Apart from what we come up to with together, like, the freedom to just kind of, like, if something's not working for me personally, I can change it until it does. And no one can say squat because it's, like, they don't know what this thing is until it- they read it because we're, in- we're creating it. So that's always, like, a fun thing to do when it comes to making a comic like this. Like, there's no... It's not a work-for-hire book. There's no, like legacy or lore behind this. It's not like doing something for DC where you've got all these references that you have to like look back to to make sure you get the characters right. You know, like, like this DC movie that I just did. Totally forgot that Jimmy Olsen kind of has strawberry blonde hair, gave him blonde hair. People picked up on that straight away. Like I was like, I was like, God damn it. I got to go back and stage it. You know, like silly little things like that, that you kind of like worry about people picking up on by, you know, like you just overlooked. Um, and that's fun. Like, I like that. I like being able to work on a book like that where I can just, you know, like, Alex, like, I think Dan said this to you recently and you said it to me, but it's true. Like, he's right. You can just wind me up and let me go on this and, and you don't have to worry about me. I can just do, do this book, which is fun. I don't have to speak, to, you know, I'll obviously check in with you on stuff that's not working or I'll tell you that something's not working and I need to change it. But other than that, like, it's nice to just be like, left to
1: just kind of create this thing well I mean I mean sorry to kind of talk across but I mean I think the thing that we've shown the art around to a very sort of select group of of very close friends including obviously the sort of the white noise guys and everything I mean it's not an exaggeration to say that you've sort of changed your style again I mean it's it's a very You've yeah. got to stay ahead of the AI. <laughs> <laughs> you stay ahead of the AI. No, well, well why not? But, but it, it, I mean, you, 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 you know, you're you're very kind of protean, um, and it's interesting to me that you know, every time anyone thinks that they've kind of nailed down what your style is, you change it, and you've done that on this book. I mean, it's the the, the sort of these sort of very charcoaly, kind of impressionistic kind of brush strokes that you were using on this couldn't be further from what you were doing in the sort of early issues of Homesick Pilots. I just really admire it, man. Like, you're a different artist on every book you work on. It's just it, it's incredible to me. Oh, thanks. I
2: mean, like, that's only because that's how I make things more fun to do, if you know what I mean. So it's like the Dark Nights of Steel book I just did was different from anything that I've done. I tried something different and I, I feel like that's it's a way of just keeping things fun creatively for myself like it kind of still looks like my style obviously because i like I, I do have a like a style that i draw in but like the way i want to like the way i'm going to execute it i like to do it differently because i've done like well i've been doing this for a couple of years now and i got i've got in the rut of like doing this uh, doing a similar style and it got, it got stale quite quickly and I, I didn't feel like I was getting it, going anywhere with it. And it was upsetting me that I didn't really feel like I was getting better. And it wasn't because I didn't think I was getting better. It was just because I kind of felt like I've exhausted the part of the creativity that was fun for me. So, like, I got to the end of it. Like, it wasn't fun doing comics the same way I've been doing them for the last three years after Limbo because it was just, it just became a job, you know, so, like, to be yeah. able to, like, find a book and then, try a new style on it or try something different while I'm doing it and learning it as I'm doing it. It's weird. It's like being competitive with yourself. I I, I get a lot out of like setting a goal for myself on a book and seeing if I can reach it or, or creatively, like I'll see a stuff, you know, something that I want to try. And and it takes me a while to get there. Like, but like I'll, I'll get there eventually. So like the first pages of home, you know, like Homesick Pilots or like, all of they, all against all, like may look different from the end result of the book, but like by that point, I probably feel like I've got there. Like once I've got into that bit, and I'm, you know, like it just becomes really fun. Like I'm really happy that I got to that point, but like getting there is fun as well, because like I get pumped when I like draw a pa- like if I'm drawing like panels for like for, uh, for all against all, I'm enjoying it because I'm seeing something in my head that I want it to look like, and I'm drawing it, and it's and it's it's getting there. Like so, like that's getting me like. Excited to draw more because, like, I feel like eventually I'm going to get to that point of the book where is where I want it to be. Um, yeah, you know, like, and I had that with Homesick Pilots as well. Like, I wanted Homesick Pilots to feel like quite fast and kinetic. You know, like, like a manga, and like the beginning of Homesick Pilots like feels like what I've been doing before. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying it was static, but like that's kind of how I felt my art was at the beginning. Like of Homesick Pilots, where a lot of it's just kind of like reaction shots and people just talking and like lots of like setting the shots up with like buildings and stuff. And then by the end of Homestead Pilots, I like, got into like this, this, like, I felt like I could draw kinetically. I, f- I felt like everything was moving quite quickly, but like I could yeah. do it in a way that was like working for me as an artist that I was happy with. And that that's really what I wanted to be doing from the beginning of the book, but I wasn't confident yet to do it. But as I was like slowly building through the what, 15 issues that we did on that,
1: um, by the end, I felt like I'd hit that point of where I wanted to be with the... It's a really interesting thing, though, isn't it, about... So, sorry, I'm countermanding this. I'll be really quick. But, like, a really interesting thing to me that I, I think about a lot with comics, right? I was reading an interview with Neil Gaiman, where, and it was just like a throwaway comment about writing novels that, you know, basically, you, you know, you, you sort of... You do... You write a first draft, and then at the end of your first draft, you you identify the themes, and then you go back and you seed them deliberately in your second draft and you make it look like you intended for them to be there all along. Now, comics is, it's more like a newspaper, right? It's a ballpen, It's its choppy, right? You can't do that, right? You, you have to have control over your themes and control over your aesthetics pretty much from the get-go because... With very very few exceptions, you know, unless you sort of do like a sort of a remaster years later. I mean, I know like there's a bunch of, you know, uh, you, you'll have people sort of tweaking art that they did sort of 30 years ago when you know new editions get brought out. But in the main, you're 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 basically kind of committed once you press the red button. Mm-hmm. And but that's that's quite exhilarating. I find that I find that quite exhilarating. You know what I mean? Like
0: once once you're out the gate, you're out the gate. So obviously you were saying that you brought the title to Casper. You guilted him into doing the art for you with it. But uh, where did the inspiration come for you for this story? I mean, what sort of influences would you say helped shape uh, All Against All?
1: Oh, I mean, look, I mean, very obvious ones, right? So Alien, uh, Aliens, Predator, The Thing. All, All I was thinking was just, you know, elevator pitch wise. And it arrived in my head in kind of elevator pitch, which was basically, you know, what if what if tarzan was the alien so you know just instead of having you know a xenomorph sort of scuttling through a ship ripping people apart you had a human being scuttling through a ship ripping people apart um and the victims were all aliens so you see it from their perspective i I basically proceeded from that sort of you know casper and i discussed it and you know we we I think you know we we established the sort of the law the world building kind of together, and so you know we needed a sort of mechanism. I mean I'm I'm a, I'm a huge I I do like sort of layering, um, and yeah you know you could have had a much more kind of stripped out version, but I mean I I, I wanted to make it a little bit more kind of immersive. So it's an incredibly um, smart book. I think principally it's incredibly violent, and that's the main yeah. thing. But like um,
2: the stuff that you're doing in it is it's it's great. Like uh, I, I can't wait for people to just like see what you see the perspective of people. like your 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 take on it. Like your perception of like how the aliens are doing what they're doing is like it's really cool. Like I, like I enjoy like I, I I enjoy reading it as a like like I would enjoy reading this book if I wasn't drawing it. Regardless, like I know I, like. to to work on a project anyway like you need that but like this is so up my street it's unbelievable like if I wasn't drawing this book anyway like this would be like the like I grew up on like alien books you know like like Mm -hmm. we mentioned before we started talking like I've all you know like the Dark Horse Alien series or like the Predator books like that's what I grew up reading like these uh, odd little stories that they would tell so like when you were explaining it to me and just talking about I was just like oh this is like so up my alley to the point that like if, if i wasn't drawing this i would just be like this would be like you know like a day one for me anyway because like i would I, I miss stories like this i don't feel like they i don't, i could be wrong but I,
1: I i don't feel like a story like this has been done for a long time in comics well i do you remember you, you and i because when, when we started off we, we were both geeking out weren't we about labyrinth that um i think was it um that jim woodring uh was it sure. uh but but you know just an, uh, like not just you know isn't it was an, an, like an aliens um it was an aliens book i think it was like either 80s or early 90s but the whole conceit is basically that the, the xenomorphs are experimenting on humans
2: that was that was that broke yeah so like
1: brilliant i mean just just what a brilliant idea what an incredible idea yeah um, they're like they they, they they get a
2: colony and they're trying to like they're trying to work out the biology of the humans because yeah. their their hive is dying, their queen has died, yeah. and they don't know how to reproduce. So yeah. they start mucking around with like humans and like these weird like bats of DNA and like trying to work out how to impregnate the sh- like the, the members of the ship to like give birth to That's like face huggers. It's it's really messed up and like but like really interesting, you know, like a really interesting story. And you know, this one survivor. He's kind of like the villain of the book as well. Like uh Yeah, yeah. The guy yeah. that he's the guy that escapes, you know, like he's the guy that escapes the hype. Like his entire family and friends are like experimented on and just these like I think he goes on a mercy, sp- like you know, like he's going around just like ending like his friends and family's lives that have just been like experimented on by these like xenomorphs for like the last couple of months, you know, just to kind of and then he escapes the ship. And I'm fairly sure the movie, well, I'm pretty certain there's the scene in the book where he has to remove the, Z, the, 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 the xenomorph from his stomach using like a kind of like a machine on top of himself, which is basically oh, what like did for me. It's exactly the yeah. same scene, you know, this is a book that came out like in the early 90s, late 80s as well
1: But, um, but that's, that's the kind of I think like that. that's the kind of that's the kind of spin on it that we wanted to, or certainly that I think we discussed quite early on uh, with like All Against All was, you know, just how do we take these sort of quite familiar motifs and sort of where can you sort of stand in relation to them that you sort of see it like it's new? And I think we, we just sort of thought that was the way in. And a lot of that was kind of establishing the aliens as, and it was, it was a really interesting, you know, there's a lot of back and forth, you know, some of it quite heated about, um, I mean, not that we ever come, you know, but intense rather than heated, but, you know, depicting aliens, right, is really tricky because instinctively you want them to be alien, right? So, you know, don't be wrong, absolutely nothing against Star Trek, but, you know, there is that thing with Star Trek that every alien is basically a human being with some antennae, right, or Mm -hmm. like some ridges, right? It's always additive. The problem with that is you can sell that and it's great and if it's well written you'd never you'd never know but it's difficult to sell that as alien whereas something like the thing right the thing is truly alien you never you never see what the thing actually is you only ever see what it's mimicking and the various kind of you know the fusions that it's kind of creating but it's unreadable and like the xenomorph as well utterly kind of inscrutable you don't know what it's thinking you don't really know what it's doing and the more you kind of over explain it the less frightening the xenomorph becomes right um is it becomes kind of overdetermined. so i was kind of initially very insistent like no these, these these aliens have to be very very alien and so we've got this sort of thing where they um they basically they make their own bodies they make their own bodies they 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 harvest other species for traits and then build bodies that they can then inhabit. They're basically these sort of jellyfish like things that sort of go from, that are housed in body after body after body. But the issue that you have then, and it was, it was funny because you, you know, you get into the long grass with things like Avatar that, okay, well, you know, in Avatar, you know, the, the Navi, they're, they're, they're very sort of feline-looking, but they're 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 very kind of manga-like as well. It's you know basically just big, tall, slender human beings with big eyes, right, and sort of cat noses, and that's because you have an empathy gap. The more alien something is, the more you have an empathy gap. And you know we've got a five-issue series where we, we we've got a five-issue series where we're trying to make alien characters relatable protagonists, and when you're doing that. If you make them too alien, you're going to lose an audience. But I remember sort of really freaking out about it, and I I, I had a chat with Dan, um, and I was you know I was really freaking out about the design, not about Casper's capabilities, but just basically what I'd committed to. Right? I was like, oh my god, I've, I've you know this is going to be a disaster. And I remember I was, I, I, I talked to Dan about it, and he said um, he said, but you're working with Casper, aren't you? And I went, yeah. And he went, yeah, he'll he'll sort it. Don't worry. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I was like, wait. said, yeah, no. you see, he'll, he'll, he'll you know. He will understand the emotion that you're trying, and you—you you did, you have. He did. Oh, that's nice. To um, hear. Yeah, no. Honestly, like he—he he, like he not to put too fine a point on it. He like laughed at me. It was like if you've been working with anyone else, yeah, it might have been a problem. But because you're working with Caswell, like, he will just figure it out. Just get on with it. Just relax.
0: Carry on writing the thing. Do do your thing. It's all taken care of. Mm. And he did, and it's great. He talked about it there being a five-issue mini-series. I mean, is that? All you have planned is a self contained five issues, and that's all you have. Or is there is there going to be room for more? You know, another volume, perhaps, if the title you know should hit well. Or is it just very much five and done?
2: Yeah, we. I feel like we spoke about that, didn't we? We spoke about that quite early on. Like, like we know where it's going to leave off, and we know like the potential, like it could have if 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 things went to go well. Like at the moment, yeah, it's like a five issue mini because we're just doing that alien thing, aren't we? We're like, this is yeah. alien. It's just like a film. Like, it has a beginning, it has an end, and it has a plot, and it has, like, that kind of weird slice of life thing in the middle of it. But then if, like, you know, it did do well, and people are like, when are you going to do a second book? Like, we have an idea of, like, where it could go if we were going to do it. Yeah,
1: we allude to a lot of things. It's a very self-contained thing, right? It's quite kind of claustrophobic, because we've got to introduce a lot of particularly kind of visual elements. So if you start if you start expanding the world before you've established the aesthetics, I think there's a possibility that you'll lose people. So it's a very, it's a very kind of contained thing. It, it all takes place on what it's a large facility, but it's basically this um, it's an earth like habitat that's been kind of created on this alien spaceship where they've what's happened is they've basically found a load of, um, so, you know, the idea is that, you know, earth died however many thousand years ago, but there's this, um, a seed and embryo vault in Norway. And this is a thing that actually exists, by the way, a seed and embryo vault that's kind of found by these aliens. And they don't understand how any of it works. So they basically just, like, they have this orbiting kind of almost as, like, silent running, like, um, orbiting kind of habitat. And they just set the whole thing running without knowing how anything's kind of put together. So, like, you know, yeah, we'll have polar bears with gorillas. Like, why not? We don't know what they are. That's fine um so they've set this whole thing running and so it's going you know we we want to take as much time as we need to kind of establish that before we kind of broaden out this alien you know we we're alluding constantly to this war that's going on sort of halfway across the galaxy which you never see but that's kind of what this project is kind of all about they're kind of trying to kind of basically find things that they can that they can use in this war in this habitat um and obviously things don't kind of go to plan but if we wrap this thing up and there's an appetite for it which you know i'm 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 I'm, you know this is the best work i've ever done i mean i'm gently kind of i'm gently optimistic um then yeah absolutely we can go and look at that war or we can go and you know if any of our if if any of our characters survive you know we can kind of catch up with them but if you want more there'll be more but you've got to vote with your feet, obviously, and vote
0: with your wallets, sadly, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, it's something where uh, there's a new initiative we're starting in store. Um, I think it's something quite unique to us, but I like I the idea of other uh, comic stores maybe following suit, but we're basically going to be spotlighting certain indie titles that are coming. Even though I feel stupid calling Image indie at this point because Image is quite large, but... We, um, we're going to be starting this new initiative, where number ones, we're going to be selling at 25% discount, uh, and basically have them as a recommended title of the week, with the idea being that maybe more people will give that indie book a chance, the work will speak for itself, people will sign on, so we're kicking it off this week with Old Dog from Declan, uh, we've, we've picked four titles so far, so uh, Old Dog's one, Kaya from Wes Craig's another, uh, damn them all! From Cy, Spurrier and Charlie Adler's another, and then all against all is our fourth one. So thank you very much. No, wow, no, thanks. No, not so, nice,
2: thank you, nice, yeah. nice row books to follow up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just the the idea is, I mean, obviously, the you know, I said I wouldn't talk politics on this podcast, but you know, just with the way the world is at the moment, for example, you know, comics are very much a luxury item. You know, they're you know they entertainment, of course they're, they're great escapism and and so on and so forth, but you know. When, when a new title is maybe coming out of £4 and, or $4 or whatever you want to say, maybe people are less inclined to give it a chance if it doesn't have a big Batman logo on it or it doesn't have a Spider-Man logo on it. So we we in our store, we always say don't follow characters, follow creators. So if you enjoy someone's work, check out what else they've done. But I just like the idea of this initiative. We'll order big on the number ones. Do them at a discounted rate. I mean, it's almost cost price for us, but it's with the idea that people will enjoy them, and then hopefully, you know, there's not that big massive tail off from number one to number two, sort of thing. So uh, we'll be announcing that later, um, hopefully tonight. So you can keep an eye out for that. But awesome. thank you
2: so much. No, no, it's all. Yeah, thank you.
0: We, we we spotlight basically work of creators whose work we enjoy. Simple as that. It's it's work we would stand behind. You know, and I the preview pages for this look insane. So and then, and you mentioned the thing. My third probably my top three movies of all time so but yeah i mean we're we're, we're talking about it all against all i mean it's it's going to be at image comics was image always the home for this or obviously you have strong contacts with boom and things like that or was it always going to be about image comics it,
1: it, it's um it, i mean it, it's an imp- it's an imprint called syzygy uh which is being run by chris ryle um late of idw so i i mean i was i was just sort of talking to chris about potential projects before image kind of even came up um I, I was just spitballing with him um and then he told me what what his deal was at image and would we like to go through them yeah because it's it, it, it's a similar arrangement i suppose to sort of you know shadow line or skybound uh we're in that sort of corner of image rather than sort of going through image central but i mean by the way i mean but just to just, I mean, Image Central have given us a lot of help as well. Um, they're really kind of supportive of the book in a way that, I mean, I don't know that they would be that supportive through the other kind of other imprints because the other imprints tend to have their own sort of marketing and everything, but particularly Image Central marketing has kind of bent over backwards to kind of get the word out for us. So, I mean, they clearly believe in the book and we're very grateful to them. But Chris as well, you know, Chris has just been obviously, you know, this kind of tremendous kind of voice of voice of encouragement voice of restraint and frankly not not to put it too fine you know just I'll just be blunt and also you know size the checks there's an index of risk that you have to kind of assume when you're considering putting an image book out it's 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 you know no I don't think anyone ever kind of lost their shirt off their back but it is a kind of I mean I've been nervous to sort of do anything at image for quite a while you know I think you know I, I, it's you know I've got a family, and so it always seemed like a very, it always seemed like a a, a a a big commitment to ask of my family because obviously you know it's it's not the kind of thing where I can expect people to do it for free, but going through Chris was sort of the it, that that was the kind of the magic bullet really that was the thing that kind of convinced me to do it was because that risk would be kind of offset. I've always wanted to work with them, but it's the kind of thing where, okay, I'm not, I'm, I am I can, you know, I have put some of my own money into this. um, And, you know, I mean, I don't want to kind of get into the long grass too much, but, you know, Casper's made substantial kind of commitments to get this book sort of across the line as well. But it hasn't been, it, it, it hasn't, you know, we're not completely exposed. You know what I mean? No, I was
2: really hesitant to do another. Well, I wasn't. I was outright not going to do another creator-owned book after Homesick Pilots for a long time. Like the plan was to go and do some more stuff over at DC or for you know some more work for Hire Work, and doing this through an imprinting with Chris was the thing that was you know like the was the turning point of what you know like there was there was actually like a funding behind the project and there was like a bit of trust and we had someone like doing stuff for us as well it wasn't just you know like when you make an image book like outside of the the help you get from uh, everyone over at image it's kind of up to you to do everything else you know like for the book to to do like promotion and, and and everything on that end you know you're kind of doing a lot of that yourself and doing that for two years on homesick pilots was just you know it's a, it's a lot so like you know like coming on to do this one like I, I you know the it, like knowing that someone else would be taking care of that for me and and I could just focus on the work was like it was co- quite you know that was quite a refresh, like a refreshing way to do this definitely uh and to do another image uh another image title with like less risk I suppose than say Homesick Pilots which you know like I'm I'm glad it did well but like you know there was a lot you know we did, we had no idea how well that you know we had no idea if that book was going to do well or not um you know um all, th- all things considered like it could have just no one could have bought that book and then it would have run for five issues and then <laughs> that would have been the end of it and then people on twitter would be like "Ah, oh, there's another image book that never finished with uh, these lazy creators <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, thankfully, you're you're obviously both working for the big two as well in, in different capacities. You know, you'd mentioned Dark Knights of Steel recently with yourself, Casper. You're, of course, on DC versus Vampires, All Out War with, you know, Matthew Rosenberg as well. So, I mean, obviously, there's there's a, a great amount of f- creative freedom when it is your own creator, own book. But is it also a lot of fun to play in that particular sandbox? I mean, certainly with uh, DC versus Vampires, it's outside of canon. So you can pretty much do what you want to a certain degree. Would that be fair?
1: Yeah, I can, I can do anything I want to whoever I want. It's 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 a lot of fun, and I really like I really like making the book, and i get to I get to chat to Matt every week, which is fun because uh, he has this incredible kind of bone dry sense of humor. I'm sure you've spoken to him, but it, it, it's kind of weird because that there are. Because I am, you know, a fairly kind of unreconstructed fanboy, there are characters that I actually have quite a lot of reverence for that I'm having to do really quite awful things to. And you do occasionally kind of catch yourself every now and then going, man, like, this is, you know, I do, this is supposed to be a symbol of hope. Like, (laughs) and I am cutting their head off. Counterpoint is deeply cathartic. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's really gonna back. Like, like I, I had a thing sort of in this um ge- genuinely I I was I was sort of wandering around on a cloud. I mean, uh, Casper was talking about, you know, he 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 you know unintentionally miscolored Jimmy Olson's hair. Um I killed him. <laughs> just really just killed him. It was, it was fun.
2: I guess it, it, with the Dark Lights like, of Steel stuff as well, it's a similar thing where it's like it's its own world as well. So I didn't have that many there were things that I had to follow, but they weren't like, again, like Jimmy Olsen's hair. Probably wasn't a deal breaker because it's not really Jimmy Olsen. It's a different Jimmy Olsen, as far as I can tell. Um, so, yeah, similar thing. A lot of the characters that were introduced in that issue that I'd done, uh, Oswald, Copperpot, uh, Penguin and Riddler and uh, Two-Face and Killer Croc, man hadn't been in that universe yet. So I got to create all of those or at least the younger versions of them um for the script and they, yeah there was a couple of characters uh, that hadn't hadn't turned up so that was fun like to sit down and just kind of like do them so I, you know and th- there is that cool little thing that if those characters do ever turn up you know at a later date in dark nights of steel they'll kind of have to go off the blueprints that i made which is kind of neat so mm. um, that's always fun uh and again like i've done stuff like that in star wars as well you know where you get to come up with like little characters in Afro or something that may turn up in different issues and stuff. Definitely had that with the, the thing that I... I me and Sy Spurrier did a Doctor Afro annual where we just created like you know monster hunters. Basically, they hadn't appeared in anything before, and it was just Cy was like, "I want to make these two characters. Like, I've come up with them. Be like, we'll you know like we'll we'll create them together. Like, you design them." We'll get it approved through LucasArts and we'll make a like a we'll hopefully we can make a comic book about them. So we did. We we made this like 32-page comic book about these two characters that like had never been in anything before. Uh and Dr. Afra turns up for like five minutes at the end, she sends them on a mission. But the cool thing about that was then, you know, those two characters were part of the Afra timeline. So they just kept turning up, you know, like. And different artists were drawing them, you know, so that was kind of cool to see them like turning up in like different stories and stuff drawn by like different artists and
0: stuff. Yeah, well, I suppose you were working with the king of uh working outside of canon, which is of course Tom Taylor with uh Dark Knights of Steel, but yeah, I mean, with, with DC versus Vampires, I was just curious, you know, obviously it's it's credited as co written, you know, it's yourself and you know, Matt Rosenberg. I mean how does that writing collaboration work you know are you are you given an outline and asked to work on the script or is it more collaborative than that or is it just you sit and spitball ideas across face uh you know across zoom and then you know you go off and write it
1: generally i'll get a first pass at the script but he's also you know available to me because you know thankfully you know I've, i've got quite a busy schedule and everything so if i'm if I'm sort of bursting at the seams, he'll kind of step in. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am i would say I'm, I'm sort of running point on it generally, but he'll take a look at it, punch it up where necessary. I would say, yeah, I mean, i probably do the sort of zero draft and then um, it gets rosenberg <laughs> at a certain point.
0: We'll finish off here. I'll I'll ask you the dreaded question at the end. I know Casper's been really looking forward to this question the whole way through this interview, uh, which is, I'm going to scale it back slightly. Do you have a favourite comic of all time? Is there something, and when I say favourite comic of all time, it doesn't have to be a masterpiece or a highly lauded, you know, epic. It's something that you can always return to and always enjoy and always find, and and maybe find something new in it. I, I believe you're going to go down the dark horse route. Is that right, Casper? Let's go with Alien versus Predator War. Like that is a well-read copy
2: right there. This is a very old copy. I've had this for about thirty years. This is one of the first comics I ever bought uh, myself with my own pocket money. This is actually a Titan one. Actually, this is a Titan. This isn't. Yeah, it's very even pre-Dark course. But yeah, I read this a lot as a kid. Like it was like I hadn't even seen the films. I hadn't seen Predator. I hadn't seen Alien. I knew about them, I played the arcade game. Um, mm-hmm. So like to have this as like my kind of my, my gateway into like both those things that I've been drawing, you know, like I used to draw aliens and predators and I didn't even really know what they look like. Cause this was, you know, well this was like the, the late eighties, early nineties. So kind of the only thing that I ever really saw of them was like stuff I saw, like the toys that you could buy. Cause they had those like weird toys, alien toys you could buy um like stuff that you might catch like on tv every now and again or something in a magazine like a video game magazine that you may have picked up but yeah like that was like the first piece of um I mean this is very relevant to what we're doing right now as well but like the very first kind of like xenomorph predator content that like I really had my hands on where I could just sit and like study the way they looked and and like read a story as well that was like really cool like I, I haven't even read aliens versus predator one at this point so i had no idea who these characters were <laughs> like because it was like 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 almost like carrying on from that first book which i get again i don't think it's it's like it's a really really cool book but it doesn't it still doesn't some of the artwork in this book is, is incredible as well i think was, <laughs> but yeah like it was kind of like my introduction into <laughs> as well because obviously i i I hadn't really seen the movie as a kid and I, and I was kind of like a, like a Frady cat when it came to like horror movies. Like I was really interested in them, but I was too scared to watch them. So like the comics were kind of like that kind of happy medium where I could just like enjoy the content, but not be too scared by it. Like there was some like pretty scary visuals in some of those comics, but like not scary enough that like, you know, if I was like eight years old or something, it was going to, yeah it was going to bother me. But like, yeah, it was kind of a, it was a good introduction i think the ninja tales were what i was reading first basically like i'd like read the ninja tales comics because i was really into ninja tales as a kid and then kind of moved on from there and i read a lot of manga as well um growing up so it was like i was really just i wasn't really into superhero stuff like i like obviously i knew superhero comics but i wasn't going out of my way like to buy like batman or superman or anything like that like the, the first batman book i actually I, owned was batman
1: versus alien so like <laughs> he put the armor on in issue three that armor was the I, I remember thinking that armor was the coolest thing i'd ever seen is that you're thinking of Batman versus predator right oh sorry yeah mm, yeah sorry yeah no, batman right. versus alien he fights a
2: uh like a like an alligator xenomorph like the xenomorph gets yeah. over it's like this huge thing i mean they're both really cool but like that's kind of like where I you know like obviously I love Batman now but like as a kid that was kind of like you know like I knew Batman and I like Batman but I didn't actually own any Batman comics like I knew Batman because I had Batman toys and I watched the Batman the animated movies, series so, and stuff yeah. And the animated series yeah so it wasn't like I mean you know we both know this it was hard to get hold of like comics here in the UK mm-hmm. at that time like it was almost impossible you get like three or four magazines that might have Batman in it but you know, the only time you're ever gonna see a Batman comic was if you went to WH Smith, you know, and and I was only gonna pick the ones that appealed to me. So the only Batman comics that appealed to me that I saw in like Smith's was one that had an alien on it as well. So I had to kind of like two for one choose between like <laughs> you know, an all-out Batman story that I may or may not like, or one that has like the predator in <laughs> it. So I knew which one I was going for. You know, this is around the time of like RoboCop versus Terminator. Like again, I'd seen Terminator as a kid because, like, well, at least Terminator Two because i was such a big deal when it came out. But I had never seen RoboCop. But again, like my introduction to RoboCop was RoboCop versus Terminator, which is again a cool comic. Like, I'm cool it's, video. It's Frank, Miller, Frank, Frank
1: Miller and Walt yeah. Simonson.
0: It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. book. So after mm. that exceptional choice uh, of Alien Predator War, what what choice have you got for us, Alex? Can I have a couple? You two, Literally. you chat away. Three, how, how many is a All couple? Right. Are you about to pull like a stack of ten books out and go? Well, ah, okay. So I, I have I have found ones that I think
1: were kind of quite pivotal, right? So like, but I think the one that really kind of transformed everything for me, and I read a there was there was a comic there was a comic magazine called Comics World that previewed. Um, I remember in this, I think it might have even been the same issue. They previewed Enigma, which completely rewired my brain. But it was also this. Um, there was a Legends of the Dark Knight two parter. Mm-hmm. Called uh, Mask. Um, I don't know how well anyone could see that, but it was. Um, yeah, it's great. I, yeah, I, I brought by Brian Talbot, and I remember it completely rewired my head because the whole the conceit of the the conceit of the story is that um, Batman is basically just this homeless guy who dresses up in kind of garbage bags and has never been Batman, and the whole thing's just this delusion, and he kind of wakes up in a hospital. And is kind of repeatedly told, "No, you know, you basically just spent the last five years living on the streets, like getting beaten up by criminals." I, I, I weirdly, I would say, it was my kind of like vertigo gateway drug in a way that I think a lot of Legends of the Dark Knight was. I mean, I've got uh, there's this weird like Titan trade that's collected stuff that like has never been collected elsewhere. Like, I mean, uh, Sanctum um, this issue uh, is like the, it, that's the the Magnolia issue of Legends of the Dark Knight that is basically a trial run for Hellboy. It's absolutely beautiful. But yeah, though, I mean, I'd say sort of those those two sort of Legends of the Dark Knight stories were, they expanded my kind of perception of what the potential of the medium was, uh, because I was still reading very sort of sunny, fairly, fairly kind of morally kind of unambiguous stuff. But, you know, when I started reading that, it was a hop and a skip from kind of Legends of the Dark Knight to kind of... Yeah, to to sort of Enigma, Face, Sandman, Preacher, you know, so that sort of set that whole ball rolling. And sort of over on the uh, over on the other side, I can, I can even I can pin down, I can I can I, don't, I can pinpoint it to one issue. Uh, this issue
0: of Iron Man. Uh, I don't know how. Um, in the morning, Tony but, uh, Stark will uh, be sober. Is that Demon in the Bottle? It, it's it a, like it.
1: it's
0: a sequel to Demon
1: in the Bottle, uh, but it's. Um, it's just a, a done-in-one. And again, I've never read anything like it. This was part of my dad's collection. Uh, I mean, I've I've, see, I've subsequently bought it in multiple because it's my, my, my favourite done-in-one issue of anything ever. I just find it kind of incredibly moving, you know, as a sort of, not to put too fine a point on it, as a sort of former kind of substance abuser. Um, and it's sort of Tony Stark kind of hits rock bottom and sort of has to deliver a baby on the streets of New York in the middle of January. And it's just Denny O'Neill being Denny O'Neill at his absolute best. Um, And I just think it's sublime and a demonstration of what you can do in the sort of mainstream space. I mean, I still I read it now and it still gives me chills, still gives me chills. In terms of um, the other, I mean, a couple of um, Strange Haven by Gary Spencer Millage is very hard to describe, sort of very sort of Wicker Man-esque but um gary grew up gary lived near me when i was quite young he did all of this himself uh, and it's a it's an incredible it's an it's an incredible achievement um and he was i think you know he was sort of the guy who proved that it could be done he was the guy who made sort of comics seem like a sort of viable career for me i guess Yeah, an um, achievable goal yeah uh, yeah an achieve an achievable goal but also not just achievable but you know that 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 level of quality could be aspired to, and I'm I'm reading a comic where literally, you know, my bus route to school is some of the locations, right, it was it was just great but yeah, I know you anyway yeah, so those are my choices
0: Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure, I could sit and chat away to you both all night, I'm sure you both are probably night owls and probably have tons of work left to do for the rest of the night but <laughs> I, I could just probably see the out. look of joy on your face, you know, right now but really uh, now, yeah no, gen generally it's been a it's it's been a pleasure chatting the to too I mean, are, are either of you guys at Thought Bubble this year? Yeah. Both of us, yeah. Both of yeah, yeah. should well, be. I mean I'm yeah, definitely yeah I'm not tabling, but yeah. I'll definitely I'll make around. sure to, to he'll be he'll be
2: at all of our tables, I imagine, won't you? Just <laughs> hanging
0: out. Yeah, well we're over as uh we're over obviously as a, as a store, so um we're also taking our, our son on his first trip so he'll be with us as well but we'll definitely be over at that so I'll I'll definitely have to make sure that I... oh, well
2: that's exciting yeah. and terrifying at the same time good luck with that
0: <laughs> that's, always, uh, that's that's such a knowing uh... comment it's like ha ha good luck with that